Thanks for listening to the Weekly Overflow Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. I'm excited about what I'm going to talk on today, um, but before I dive into that, what, during worship, I just want, I wanted to declare something that the Lord showed me during worship this morning. Um, <clears throat> I actually saw a vision of the heavens, like just the, I don't mean heaven where God is, but the heavens around the earth. I, I saw it shake. I just saw it shake, like real fast. Have you ever been in a, has anybody ever been in an earthquake? If you've been in an earthquake, might know what it feels like when the earth shakes for it. Sometimes it doesn't last real long, but it's like, and then it's like, what in the world was that? And it, it changes the atmosphere. But I saw that happen in, a, in, in the heavens. I saw it shake and, and it shifted. And I, I felt that I heard the Lord say, I'm shaking the heavens. I'm going to say that again. I'm shaking the heavens. Come on. How many of you guys know the heavens need to be shaken? And it, it kind of looked like the shifting of the earth plates, except in the, in the heaven atmosphere, okay? It's just like that. And, and it's, it's similar. I felt like the Lord was telling me that when the heavens shake, it's, it's, not, it's not just a like that, and then it's done. Like there's something happening more than you know when things shake like that. And there's only one person who is powerful enough to shake the heavens, amen? And that's Yahweh God. And so when he shakes the heavens, it makes everything in the heavens come to attention and to remember who's boss. Okay? And so, so the Lord is, is showing who's boss and he's resetting order. Come on. And, and he reminded me of the Bible actually talks about God's shake in the heavens. And I, I'm just going to read real quick, uh, Joel 3.16. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake. Come on. There's a lot of verses that talk about God's shake in the heavens. And the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And I just, before I get into my message, I just want to declare this. We're coming into a time, I believe that we're going to start seeing the shaking of the heavens and the earth like we've never seen before. And, and, and God's going to be, he's going to do it to show who the boss is and to reset order. And, and I, actually, when I saw that shift, it was kind of, I felt like you showed me it's more than just a shaking of things, but shifting actually resets things into order the way it needs to be. Like a doctor would reset a broken bone. Like if you get, if something is in its position for long enough, you just get used to it and think that's the way things are. But when God shows up and he says, actually, this has been out of order for all this time, I'm going to shift things so he can reset it back the way it needs to be. And I believe that we're going to see that happen in America. Yes. Come on. And so the Lord says he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. And, but he says the Lord will be a shelter for his people. When the shaking happens, you either are in, under the shelter or you're not. So you either get shaken 
or you, or you don't get shaken, right? And so the Lord is so good to his people. He's our covering. He's our solid rock. And, and the church, the ecclesia of God is the safe place in Christ. <laughs> Come on. And, and I'm actually, I started a series last Sunday. You guys remember what Sunday was last week? Pentecost, come on, happy birthday church, right? And, and I preached a message called Pentecost, the Holy Ghost and the birth of the church. And the, the, the Lord actually gave birth to the church in the midst of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that's the DNA, come on. That, that is the DNA of the church, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and I, I started a series on the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the, is the Greek word for the church. And so, like, when God talks about the church, he's not just talking about Sunday school programs, all right? He's talking about his mighty people. And, and I'm, I'm doing this series on the ecclesia, and you, it's God's version of the church. And I want to tell you that God's version of the church is different than religion's version of the church. It's different than most people's perspective of the church. And I, I've been feeling this conviction and calling from the Lord for the last two years to really go after reestablishing the, the value and identity, like the, our view of the identity of the church of God, okay? It needs an upgrade, <laughs> big time. And I've been waiting. I thought it was two summers ago, I was, my family was in Curie Beach, North Carolina, uh, staying at my sister's condo right on the ocean, third floor. The Cheneys were just there, pretty good place. And, and I, the Lord actually was doing some deep work in my heart that week. We were there for two weeks, actually. Oh, man, Lord, give me, give me that experience again, Lord. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm taking vacation soon, by the way. But I'm not going there this year. Anyway, the, I went out on the, on the patio or the, the deck one night. And, and I went out there to go spend some time with the Lord after the kids went to bed, or at least we thought they went to bed. But, uh, but while I was out there, I felt the, the presence of the Lord come on me, and, but I felt the weighty burden of the Lord, and he started speaking to me, and he started, he started impressing upon my spirit a, a, a burden that God has for his church, started telling me this. He started talking to me about how um, I've been on this journey for many, many years of, of discovering our identity in Christ as, as children of the Most High God. How many of you guys, I mean, some of you guys have been through our teachings and trainings here, and maybe some of you haven't hit some of that yet, but um, we, we put a lot of emphasis on discovering who you are in Christ. And like, like, the more you understand who God knows, who God believes that you are, which is probably different than the way that you grew up believing that you are, you start realizing that his version of you is far greater, far more powerful, much freer than you ever thought in Christ Jesus. 
and, and the, we, we start discovering that we're children of the Most High God, and what would that mean? I've been, I've been born again. What does that mean? It means that my old sinful man died, and that's not even who I am anymore. And that, my, that I became, I, I died with Jesus, was buried with in the old sins, right? Buried with Jesus, but, I, but I've been born again, which means I came to new life. I, was, I came into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, into the spirit of Christ, and the old sinful nature that I used to have no longer exists anymore, but I've become a new creation in Christ, and his nature has become my nature, because he's fused my spirit with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The more we come into understanding of the realities within that, the more free we get, the more powerful we get, the more victorious we become, the more we realize that we can overcome anything in this world that God needs us to. Come on. The, the, The more shame has no place in our life anymore the more we realize that we've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he's made us his righteousness. Hallelujah. Like what Jesus did on the cross actually did more transformation in us than most of us have even come close to living out on our lives. But the more we understand it, the more we start living in the power of that, right? And so like the Lord was speaking to me on on that balcony. He said, Jesse, just like you, the, the more you've come into a revelation of who you are, the more you've been able to start living from that reality and actually resembling that kind of a life. And by the way, I've got a, I still have a ways to go. If you've seen me flaw, you probably have. I'm on a journey still, but the more we're understanding it, the more we're becoming like Jesus Christ. Amen? So the Lord was just saying the same way that, that I have had to change my self-view, okay? The more I've had to change my self-declaration, moving away from believing that I was that old dude, that old man, right? And to knowing that I'm a new creation. And the more I, we behave according to who we think we are. Let me say that again. You behave according to who you believe that you are. And when you believe that you are struggling with sins and addictions or whatever, you're going to behave according to who you think you are. No matter how hard you try to quit it, if you think you, you have that struggle, you're going to find your way back to it. Okay? So we, we behave according to who we believe we are. But God believes that we're greater than we think we are. The more we come into agreement with who he believes we are, the more we rise up and reveal Christ through our lives. Come on. In Revelations 8, it says all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to become revealed. Like the Lord is actually wanting to reveal to the world the glorified Christ through us. And the more that we come into that revelation ourselves, the more it it changes us and then it's visible outward. So we need to get revealed to ourselves before we're revealed to the world. You guys hearing me this morning? And so the Lord was talking to me. These are years and years and years worth of revelations and encounters I've had with the Lord that's changed me and set me free. But that night, it didn't take him long to talk me through it because it's like, you know this. But he said, the same way you know this, he said, my church 
is behaving like, like people who don't know who they are yet. And you behave according to who you believe that you are. And he, he started telling, I felt the grief of God's heart about people's view of his church. And we, we knock the church, oh, but the Western church. We call it the American church. Really? No, it's actually Jesus' church. Okay? But, but we, we talk about how much it's fallen, and we, we read Acts, and then we measure the way the church now looks according to the church of Acts, and we see how far it's fallen short, and then we judge the church because the church is failing in so many ways. And we have a tendency to focus on the failures of the church. Well, look how imperfect it is. The, the, we we want to see the signs and the wonders, but the church so far removed from the book of Acts, and so we focus on the negative and, and the deficiency. And how many of you guys know that when we are talking about our personal identity, if we focus on all of our flaws, we're empowering weakness, but God's trying to help shift our view so that we stop focusing on the problem, we start focusing on the solutions, and, the, and we can, I can look at every place that I've failed and think, well, that defines who I am. And God's like, no, Jesus resurrected and given you a born-again life, new creation. That's what defines who you are. I still might fail tomorrow or the next day, but I have to remind myself that Jesus made me a new creation, and that is not who I am. And the Lord is saying, but this is the same thing about our view on his church. The, the thing that he calls the body of Jesus Christ. And we look at the failures in, of leadership and the way that they didn't represent Jesus well, and then we judge the church as a whole because people didn't do things well. Yeah, people screw up. I'm not going to lie about it. But if we, if, we, if we attach our belief of the church and when we believe the identity of the church is based on the failures of humans, we're missing everything that Jesus did on the cross in the resurrection. <laughs> Just listen to the rest of the sermon. We'll get there. The Lord sees the church differently than we do when we judge it based on its flaws and its shortcomings. And the, the, we, we have the bar on what we think the, the perfect church should look like, and, and we see how far the church is failing, and we focus on, on that. We're, 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 we're failing. We're, the, the church is sucking. <laughs> it's not looking right. It's not acting right. It, it's not, it doesn't feel safe or whatever it is. And God, I felt the grief of the Lord, and God, and God told me on, on that balcony, if, if our people can start believing who the church is according to who he knows that the church is, we start, we start believing it. We start calling out the gold of the church instead of the dirt of the church. The more you speak of the negative stuff, the more you're actually, you're, you're actually activating that atmosphere, 
And again, you behave according to who you believe you are. If we, if we think that the church is this big mess and that's all we focus on is the mess of the church, we're just continuing to perpetuate the thing that we're believing it's in it. And the Lord's trying to call us up. He wants to lift us out of our false versions of our identities as Christians, but he wants us to do the same thing with the bride of Christ. So instead of judging the church for all the failures, we need to start finding God's heart. What does he see as the church? And start calling that stuff out and start building and edifying the church up towards everything that Jesus has created the church to become. The more we can, we can shift our confession of the church and shift our belief system towards the church, the more we are actually going to be part of the solution to the problem instead of continuing to facilitate the problem. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you guys about some stuff. This has been on my heart for two years, and I'm just getting started. We'll see how far I can get into my notes, because we know how that goes. <laughs> we want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to, to Revelations chapter 12, and just kind of hang out there for a minute until I get to it. Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible, chapter 12. <clears throat> and I, I want to I take a couple of minutes and just kind of explain some Bible study technique, all right? This, I want to explain to you a little bit about what I've learned about, about reading um, the Bible. <clears throat> There's different types of books of the Bible, all right? There's several different styles of writings within the Word. So there's books of poetry. There's history books. There's prophet books. There's law books. There's gospels. And there's letters. And then Revelation... And so each, each type of book, by the way, because it's a completely different style, it's a different type of flow, it's a different even purpose and function, there's different ways to read it and to discern what the heart of it is, all right? And so there's, there's, there's different ways that you read David's cries out to the Lord than the ways that you would read the writings of the law and, how, and God says, if you do this, then this will happen. You, you see what I'm saying? There's different approaches to it. The book of Revelation is a very unique study because it's not just one type of writing. It's actually several types of writings in one book. So it contains uh, prophecy, it contains poetry, and it contains epistle, okay? Because there, there, there's the writings to the churches in chapter 2 and 3, okay? So each part of it is actually intended to, to be approached differently, so... And, and I know this is deep. I'm not expecting you guys to do this. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you some perspective with where I'm going. The, the book of Revelation is called an apocalyptic book. And so that, that's, uh, it's a different style of book than just a normal prophecy book like in the Old Testament. It's called an apocalyptic book. And mo how many of you guys, when you read a book of the Bible, you tend to just read it straight through and you think of it in chronology and, and like, like each thing kind of builds to the next, to the next, to the next, straight through like that. How many of you guys 
tend to read that way. I, I do. Usually with most books, I tend to do that. But with this book, um, it, it actually cannot, it should not be read chronologically where you think one event leads to the next, to the next, to the next, straight through all the way to the end to where you think this is going to be a timeline of sequences. That's not accurate, okay? So um, what, what I learned in, the, in a book I was reading about this, um, they, they were encouraging you when you read the book of Revelation to read the majority of it with more of a macro view where you're, you're not trying to nitpick every single detail of it, but you try to get more of a holistic picture and, and you get the spirit of big picture instead of trying to identify the prophetic symbolism of every little tiny detail you see in there, okay? So think of it more macro. There are some parts that the micro perspective is important, um, but, but they basically said don't try to make sense of every detail, every single detail for interpretation, or you'll drive yourself nuts, <laughs> all right, which a lot of people do. All right, and also this was the most in, 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 uh, interesting aspect of it. The book of Revelation is divided into sections. Let me actually ask this question real quick. How many of you guys have read the entire book of Revelation? Okay, all right. It's a pretty crazy book, isn't it? All right, this is what they taught me. That, that when you read the book, there's different sections in it, that, and then each section needs to be looked at for its own purpose, and you should read it like you're reading a, a play, okay, a play. And the first three chapters of the play are, it's going to introduce the characters of the book and the context for what the story is going to say. So the first three chapters, it's kind of like setting the stage for what you're going to read in the rest. And so the, the main characters of the book are John, because he's the one who's written to and is encountering this whole thing. And more importantly, Jesus Christ. Amen. And then the churches, and then the angels of the churches. Those are the main characters of the book. That doesn't mean there's not other characters that's coming in. I mean, we know that Satan's coming in. We know that the, the Antichrist or whatever, the two witnesses, all that stuff is going to be in there. But the main characters are Jesus, John, the churches, and the angels that, that are connected to the churches, all right? Chapters 4 and 5 is what sets the stage so that, you, so that you're seeing the scene of what's happening. And so there's encounters in the throne room, and it gives glorious picture of what God looks like and the throne and the, the crystal. See, all that stuff, it's, in, it's incredible. And then they, they pull out the scroll, which means that something's about to happen now. So the first five chapters is, is you haven't even got into the story of what they're going into yet, but it's setting the stage. Now they're pulling out the scroll. So then what do you do with that? All right, so chapters six and seven it, it kind of, it's a macro view of unfolding the drama, and there's the seven seals that, that gets opened up, okay? Then eight, eight through ten, it gives the content of the judgment that's about to get explained. So it's using all those chapters to, set, to just keep getting you set up for what's coming. So chapters one through eleven needs to be viewed kind of in the macro perspective. You guys doing all right? Okay, but chapter 12 is a very unique chapter, and that's the one we're going to hit today. That is right in the middle of it, 
And that is what's considered the, the theological key to the whole book. So if you can get what's, what they're revealing in Revelation 12, it's going to give you insight for the big picture of everything that's going to happen in the rest of the book. All right, so all, like the rest of the chapters are giving an earthly perspective of things that are going to happen, but chapter 12 gives God's view. All right, so it's like a lens from heaven in that one chapter so you can see in the spirit realm what's going on when, when people on the earth are experiencing the plagues and, and the, the martyrdom and all that stuff. Chapter 12 helps you see the spirit realm of that. You guys okay? All right, that's all I'm going to say on that stuff. But um, yeah, so chapters 1 through 11, macro view. Chapter 12, theological key. Chapter 13 through 22, micro view. That's where it starts like unpacking what you just read. So it's not like new things in addition to the other things. It's the unfolding of those things. So it's kind of like repeating it in a different way. You guys follow me? All right. I'm hoping that's the last of the boring part. <laughs> All right, good. It's important for us to learn how to read the word well. You know, it really is. Back in 2020, that was a crazy, crazy year. Not sure if it's gotten any more sane since, to be honest, in some ways. But I think that, I think that good things are happening, though, since then. I think, there's an, I think that there's a, a reorienting of people who are sane. I'll just say that. But, that but, but during 2020, there was crazy stuff. There was COVID. There was the lockdown. Don't go anywhere except, the, except to buy groceries, but stay away from everybody. Then there was George Floyd, who, who got brutally murdered. And then, um, and then the riots that broke out, which was not necessary. It got, it got nuts. It, it got scary. People got scared. Riots all over the place. Chaos. People turning over people's cars and throwing mobtail cocktails into them and people marching through peaceful neighborhoods. And then people getting in trouble because they're, they, they have guns and they're wanting just to protect their territories. It got nuts. Okay, and, and, and then there was the, the BLM and Antifa and just violence everywhere, just things erupted, political unrest, uh, big brother and big tech just kind of trying to control people's lives, and people are just in fear, and, uh, and tyranny going on, and it just, it created a lot of fear and uncertainty. Can anybody say amen on that? And, and so, and I remember... Um, I remember in that season, I, I was studying through Revelation chapter 12, and, and you're, we're going to read it in just a moment, and it's going to talk about the, the great red dragon. And, and I was reading this, and I had a vision, and, and I saw this giant red dragon that would just fly around the earth, and it would stop, and, and it, would look, it would look at things and observe it. And, and in, my, in this picture, I saw like this giant, this dragon was probably about as big as my neighborhood. And, and he actually came and landed right in front of my window in my office at home and, 
and I saw his eye just kind of come up there and just look in. I'm not saying that that actually really happened, so I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I, but I saw this picture, all right, in my spirit, and it reminded me of Smog or Smaug or however you say his name from Hobbit. How do you say it? What? I'm hearing it differently, so you guys don't even know what it is. So I'm good. I'm in good company. All right. But, but it looked kind of like Smaug. That's not, that feels funner to say Smaug because it just doesn't feel right. But, it, but bigger than Smaug. And he was flying around, but, but it's like he, he's shaking things. And, and I, I saw, uh, I, I, yeah, sorry. I just felt like the Lord, I, it wasn't really happening. Like, I don't think the devil was like looking in my house. But I, but I felt like the Lord gave me a picture of this just so I can kind of get a, a, a view of it. And, uh, and, and so I could, I could see what turkey is behind all that mess. All right? <laughs> the turkey. Smog. All right. <laughs> Guys, stay with me. Anyway, I, the Lord was just giving me a, a, a picture in the spirit realm of who's behind all this crazy chaos going on in our world. And it's been from day one. Every war is Satan's fault. Every war. No matter what the reason of it was or who was right and who was wrong, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Every murder, every rape, every sex traffic victim, every child who's been deceived to think that they need to change their gender, whatever the case is, every person who got addicted to a drug, like Satan, it all traces back to Satan himself, okay? And so, um, and the Lord will just show me this, and, he, and it, I was just getting this real revelation that, that the chaos is going on in 2020 and still is in a lot of ways. It's not about social issues, not, I mean, yes, it is, but that's not really it, okay? Like, that's not the real reason this stuff's happening. It, it might be surface reasons, but it's not the real reason. It's not race issues. It's not politics or any of that stuff. It's because Satan hates the church. I'm telling you, that is what it's all about. He could care less about it. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. He could care less about anybody's issues. He's trying to do everything he can to disarm his greatest threat. Okay? I want to, let's dive into Revelation 12. And Lord, help me, Jesus, to do what I'm hoping I'm about to do. All right. Here we go. The last verse of Revelation 12 is the one that I'm wanting to prove to you that this is actually talking about the church. But we'll just stick with me on that. All right? All right, verse 1. <clears throat> now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and, seven ho and ten horns and seven diadems, which is like a royal crown, on his heads. 
his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up with God in his throne. Who do you guys think the child is? Jesus, come on. And a lot of people would probably read this and think the mother must be Mary. It's not Mary. Okay, it's not Mary. Even though it would seem that way, you've got to remember this is a prophetic image of bigger things. <clears throat> it's Israel. It's Israel. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how you can connect that. All right? It, it, the woman clothed with the sun and the moon... And there's 12 stars. And if you remember Joseph back in Genesis, who had dreams, the, the, he said he saw the sun and the moon and the 12 stars bowing down to him. That's, that's, that's Israel and the 12 tribes. That's who that's talking about. It's not Mary. If you read the whole thing, it would make no sense for it to be Mary. All right? All right, so... That's, that's Israel, it's the 12 tribes. And then the child is Jesus, all right, to give birth. And, and if you, it says that in verse 4, it says that dragon drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth, okay? That's, that, that's a third of the angels that were in heaven. They were holy angels. Every single one of those angels, including Satan, who used to be called Lucifer, were holy and they worshiped God, and there's unity in heaven, okay? But, but then, uh, but he was able to take a third of the angels with him. The name Satan actually means to oppose, to obstruct, and accuse as an adversary. And, he, and Satan is a deceiver. He's so deceptive that he was able to convince one-third of God's holy angels to shift their allegiance from the King of kings and the Lord of lords over to him and to follow him to a great rebellion. Okay? That is very deceptive. In the very presence of God, in holy heaven, he was able to deceive a third of God's angels. That's pretty wild. All right? Verse 4, it says, I'm just repeating things that I've said here. It says, The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we got to remember that, uh, that Satan more than likely possessed King Herod, who did not know where the Christ child would be born. So he sent his Roman soldiers into the, all of the land to murder every male child that was two years old and younger so that with all those thousands of people that die, surely they'll kill the Christ because they don't know who that is, okay? We read that in the Christmas story and we see it from the, the human perspective. But when you look at it in Revelation 12, verse four, this is the spirit realm perspective. That, that's a dragon. Like what you, you, in the Christmas story, and there's, her, there's this great red ten-headed dragon, seven-headed dragon, or whatever it was. Seven-headed dragon with ten horns, possessing Herod to try to kill Jesus. Okay? You got to see the, the deeper perspective on this stuff, all right? 
All right. <clears throat> Verse 5. She bore the male child who was to rule all nations with the iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and on his throne. That's amazing that that verse five pretty much is, the, is a one verse summary of everything that happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. In one sentence. <laughs> but this is, you got to remember, it's the theological key to the big picture. It's showing you the spiritual version, the spiritual perspective on the bigger picture, right? So like oh, this guy, Jesus, the child, um, he's going to rule all the nations with an iron rod, and all of a sudden, he's caught up to heaven. Well, we know that he died on the cross, he was buried for three days, and then resurrected on the third day, and then he spent 40 days with his apostles, training them and equipping them and commissioning them, and then he ascended, and then he sat at the right hand of the Father, right? But that's the one-sentence version, <laughs> okay? Powerful stuff, though. All right, keep reading, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. All right? Now, people who are Revelation theologians and they're going to spend their time focusing on, like, interpreting every single thing, I ain't got nothing for that one for you right now. I've heard stuff. That's not where we're focusing today, all right? Verse 7. And let me see. Where, all right, it's verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. How many of you guys know that Satan is the author of war from the beginning until now, okay? War broke out in heaven. There had never been a war in heaven. Peaceful place. Heaven. War. That's crazy. War broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Everybody say, Satan did not prevail. Satan did not prevail. That's good news. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So he didn't prevail and there's no longer space for them in heaven, all right? They got evacuated. They got evicted, I should say. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. Hallelujah. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Everybody say he deceives the whole world. This one person has deceived this entire world for 6,000 plus years. That is quite an accomplishment. Pretty powerful. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Take a couple minutes on this. I, I don't know for sure, but I believe that when Satan was cast out of heaven, that it probably happened sometime between Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and verse 3. All right? Because in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it talks about in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void. There was darkness on the face of the deep, and the, the Holy Spirit hovered, right? That's verse 1 and 2. And then it says, and God created light and separated light from darkness, and he called that the first day. He called it good. But we have no idea how much time went between verses 2 in verse 3, it could have been a day, or it could have been millions of years. We have no idea. It doesn't say. 
But there's probably was this cataclysmic, crazy thing that happened in the heavens during that time that's not recorded in Genesis. And probably then is when God sent Satan in his third down to the earth. Okay? And then in Genesis 1, 7 through 8, it says, Thus God made the firmament, that's the sky, right? And divided waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so... And God called the firmament heaven. He's not talking about heaven where God sits. It's the heavens over the earth, okay? The heavens, all right? So evening and morning were the second day. <clears throat> you, probably, you may wonder why I'm even bringing that up. Well, when you read the creation, every sixth day that he created, each day after it was done, he called that, what he did that day, he called it good, Right? And in the end, he looked at everything he created, and he said, this is all very good. But there's one day that God did not call it a good day. And it was this one, when he created the firmament, okay? Now, why am I bringing that up? Because of a man named Jesse Duplantis. <laughs> I heard him back in the 90s teaching on this, and the Lord told him, pay attention to the days, and, and on that day, he realized God did not call it good, and then he asked God, why didn't you call it good? And God said, because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And, this, and when I sent him to the earth, this was the place where he was going to take residence, and th there's nothing good about that. Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. No longer does he have residence in heaven. Jesus saw him fall like lightning to the earth. Okay? In the book of Job, we all know that Satan wanted to torment Job and, and God's righteous one. But in Job 1, 6 through 7, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God, which I think means the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. When you compare it to compare him to Earth people, he's, he's small, but to God, he's a little pipsqueak. Come on, I'm not even joking. But God's asking Satan, "Where do you come from?" Uh, you got to remember that God knew Lucifer in heaven where he had access to all of the heavens and it was beautiful and wonderful, but, 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 then, but then he rebelled and probably thought he was going to win because he's stupid. But God cast him out of heaven and gave him no more access anymore to heaven, right? And so he's saying, where are you, where are you coming from? Because it surely ain't here. And then Satan has to own up to the fact that he's a fallen creature who has no right to be there except by permission. I've been roaming around the earth to and fro, walking back and forth on it. <laughs> God was rubbing it in his face that he was fallen from heaven and that he was, 
extremely inferior. You guys hearing me? And, and Satan, <clears throat> he deceived Adam and Eve. And, and he, I, I want to say he stole the keys of authority, but he actually didn't steal them. He deceived them into yielding them legally over to him. So what, where Adam and Eve was placed on this earth to carry the dominion of God's kingdom on this earth and to expand his kingdom on this earth, they had all the authority to do so, but they yielded it to Satan and they shifted their allegiance just like he deceived a third of the angels to follow him. So Satan took the keys of authority of this earth and in 2 Corinthians 4.4, it calls him the God of this world, all right? And that's why. Ephesians 6.12 it says, if we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want to talk to you a little bit about Satan's strategies. All right? Satan lost the war in heaven. He could not stand against heaven. Hallelujah. You guys got to understand this. What, what to us uh, in our humanity Looks like smog, as big as a neighborhood. He deceives the entire world and, and is the author of all confusion and violence and hatred. Powerful. He's the most powerful evil that's ever been seen. Okay? But, but in, in contrast to God, he's a little worm. You got it? All right, so he, he lost the war in heaven. And I want to say heaven is where everything's already finished. Jesus said it is finished. Everything's already completed in heaven. And heaven is the place where truth is known with absolutely no deception. There, there was a moment, a brief moment of deception when Satan was able to grab a third of the angels, but once he got casted out, there was no deception in heaven ever again because he's no longer able to be there. Pure truth, pure knowledge in heaven has been ever since. It will always be that way. Come on. All right, so heaven is where everything is finished Everybody say, everything is finished, and truth is known, with no deception. All right. And that tells me that Satan knows, and you guys need to hear this, that he cannot win against the armies of God who stand in the truth of God's kingdom and all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. You guys better get this because I could care less about talking about smog if you don't get this part. Satan knows that he cannot win against anybody who stands in the truth of God's kingdom and understands what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He cannot do anything to come against you. 
I mean, he'll try. He'll try. But it says Satan deceives the whole world, okay? He was cast out of heaven where he has no power to deceive. Now he's in this world with a whole bunch of people who don't understand, okay? People don't understand all that Jesus has accomplished. So Satan's only hope of winning war against anyone is to wage it against people who do not know the truth of the gospel and the crucifixion and the resurrection. So knowing the truth of these things is what gives you the power that he cannot deceive. Not knowing these things makes you an open target. You hearing me? So according, let me see where I left off here. All right. <clears throat> I just read to you that um, he deceives the world, right? I, I read that. And let me read this next verse. That was, uh, let me read verse 9 and 10. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So he, he deceives the whole world, right? So everybody say deception. deception. That's, that's one of his main weapons. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Come on. <clears throat> so he's a deceiver and he's an accuser. Those are his two main weapons. Deceive people and to accuse people. All right? So Satan's greatest weapons against Christians are deceptions and accusations. But these things are all lies, okay? Because what Jesus has done for us has canceled all of our faults. Come on. <laughs> That's the gospel message. That what Jesus has done for you has cleared the slate of all the records of your wrongs and covered it under the blood of Jesus. So the devil wants to try to deceive you into thinking that you're something you're not. And he wants to try to accuse you and put shame on you for things that Jesus died on the cross to take away from you. So he was cast down from heaven and his accusations do not penetrate into God's throne room any longer. Come on. God, Satan's accusations cannot penetrate into heaven and the throne room. It used to, can't no more. Done. You got this? So even if he would try to, to bring accusation, it carries absolutely no weight. So I want to say this to you, that when you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, and you understand the fullness of the finished work of the cross, then the Satan's accusations should not be able to penetrate you either. Come on. 
Verse 10, I just read that. Okay, so Satan has been defeated from heaven. Come on. But now Satan is on the earth. And so Jesus taught us that what God's done in heaven, he wants to do it on the earth. And he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Satan's been completely defeated in heaven and now he's on the earth, and Jesus wants Satan to become defeated on the earth. He did his job, but now it's our turn. You guys all right? I'm realizing that I'm completely running out of time, and there's a lot more to say, so I think Revelation 12 is going to be a two-parter. <clears throat> But I, can, I think I can bring it home in a pretty powerful spot here. I, I just read to you something powerful, okay? And we haven't even said 11 yet. All right, let me read, let me read through 12. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 10, 11, and 12 right now. Follow with me. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, I want you guys, I'm going to, when, I, when you hear me shout a word, I want you to repeat it after me with, with authority. But when I'm done shouting, you're done repeating. You got it? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Just got to make that clear so you don't keep reading everything else after me. All right, here we go. This, this, this loud voice shouted from heaven, all right? Now. Everybody say now. Now. Salvation. And strength. and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the, kingdom of our God. And the power of His Christ, of his Christ. Have, come. have come. Repeat these after me again. Now. now. It's not later. Okay? All right, I better, I better start putting more boldness on it so you know which parts to repeat. Now. now. Salvation. Salvation. Strength. The kingdom, kingdom. power, Power. Christ, Christ. come on. on. It says, now these things have come. Satan was cast out of heaven onto the earth, the great dragon wanting to destroy anything he can, but now salvation has come. Something has changed When Jesus resurrected from the dead, things were different than they were before. Satan was the God of the world, but now salvation has come. Come on. And you got to remember what salvation means because it's not just saying the sinner's prayer and getting your ticket to heaven. Salvation set you free from Satan. Salvation set you free from sin and bondage. Salvation brought healing to you and wholeness and restoration to you. Salvation brings freedom and victory, total victory. Come on. It brought us into Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you're on your own, then Satan's like smog. But when you know that Christ is in you, you're greater than him. Come on. 
And and salvation comes to the spirit and the soul and the body on every level. Victory and power. Come on. And he brought us, everybody say, he brought us salvation. Salvation. But he also brought us strength. strength. That word strength is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. It's the mighty miracle working of power of God. That everywhere dunamis shows up, breakthrough happens, miracles happen, freedom happens, the kingdom gets ushered in behind dunamis showing up. Now comes dunamis. Come on. Now comes the kingdom of God. We look in a, a smog, and he's trying to do his stuff, and he's trying to rape and pillage and war and evil, just all that stuff. But now, the kingdom of God has come. Come on. Woo! Kingdom of God. It's the king's domain. Kingdom. King's domain. All right? And so Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess what? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and all that is within it. So even though Satan tried to come and and deceive Adam and Eve to give him the keys of authority on this earth, Jesus actually came and he crushed Satan in the grave and he took the keys of death and Hades back from Satan and he took back all the authority. And Jesus was able to say to his disciples before he ascended, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the king of a kingdom, and the king's domain is right here, and he's expecting us to bring the domain of the king. Hallelujah. So, so smog looks big when you are on your own strength, but when you're in Christ, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Come on. And then, it, and then it says, now the power of Christ. Everybody say that. Now the power of Christ. Now the power of Christ. That word power in the Greek is exousia. It's not the same thing as power, like muscle power. It's authority. So the authority of the king has been given to us in his name. The authority of Jesus Christ has been delegated and given to us and he's given us his authority and his power to take it into the world and to set the captives free. The power in his name, the power in his commission to bring heaven to earth has been given to us. Okay, So we have authority to carry on the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth. We have the authority He's given us the authority to take dominion on this earth. The earth that that the devil has set up principalities and powers of the air and all that stuff, and he tries to rule and reign people groups, and he tries to influence the the minds of of the social molding people, right? He tries to influence that stuff with hellish ideas. But Jesus has put us here to carry the mission of heaven, to bring the king's domain into this world. He's given us the authority to take Satan's kingdom back from him. Give us the earth back. Come on. 
So he's given us the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, the exousia of Jesus Christ. It's his authority, and we get to walk in the fullness of his authority. That's crazy. So it's the power of Christ. We focused on the power part of it, but let's focus on the, the Christ part of it. Everybody say, now, the power of Christ. So we have been given the exousia of Jesus, but it's not just Jesus, it's the Christ, all right? The anointed one and his anointing that comes with it. So the anointing of Jesus Christ, what breaks every yoke of bondage, he's given it to us now. Come on. The anointing. Come on. Hallelujah. All right, so everybody say these again. Now, now. salvation. And strength, Strength. dunamis, Dunamis. the kingdom of our God, the The power of his Christ, Christ. the anointed one, all right? And these have come, they've come now, and it says they come now for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. The accuser is trying to accuse as much as he can. But he's been cast down, and we have been given all of these things to equip us, to give us the dominion, to give us the power to overcome Satan and all of his demons. Come on. That's amazing. Man, man, God, stop the sun in the sky. Give me time. All right, I told you I was going to read till 12, but I'm not going to. All right, we're almost done. Verse 11, and they, and they over, I'm going to preach this one more next time, because this one needs more time on it. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Everybody say they overcame him, they overcame him. by the blood of the lamb, the of the lamb. and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. Woe to you, inhabitants on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Come on. There's so much more I've got to go into on this stuff, but I've got to to stop here. But uh, thank you, Lord. We're going to pick this one up in two weeks because Laura is here next Sunday. So can you guys remember these things? You sure? Okay. Huh? You're going to be living them. All right. Yeah, I, I, just, I just want to say, I, I do want to say this last part on verse 17. It says, the dragon was enraged with the woman. Remember, that's Israel, right? And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So remember the first one, the first offspring was Jesus. Now it's saying the rest of her offspring, all right? And who are the rest of the offspring? It's those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the saved ones. It's the born again ones. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. So this is actually talking about the church. It doesn't say the word ecclesia in it, but it's talking about God's church. And Satan, the dragon, wants to come against the church. 
okay? There's, there's more to say. But Lord, we need to understand, and this is what I really want to just give to us this morning, that Satan and all the stuff that we're seeing on this earth is the raging dragon hating the fact that he lost everything he had before and he'll never get it back again. And he's mad at God. And he can't touch God. He can't hurt God. He can't do anything to God. And Jesus Christ, believe this or not, I don't, I don't think that Jesus is actually Satan's arch enemy because Jesus already has crushed him. But the church is the arch enemy of Satan because, he, because we're the ones who can do something about it on this earth. But he knows that if he can deceive us and if he can accuse us to get us to belittle ourselves or one another, he's trying to weaken us so that he can have the upper hand. But we have to understand who God knows that we are. We are far greater than what the church thinks it is right now. Far greater. When it says that God is now has given us salvation and he's given us dunamis strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ, all these things, those are what God has equipped the church with. These are the things that's going to make us to be able to overcome and crush Satan on this earth. So I, I just feel, and this is what I'm going to be going after for weeks and weeks, I think, unless the Lord... I, I'm, Lord, please don't change my plan. <laughs> I think it's your plan. I do believe it's his plan. I've waited two years. But I am no less convinced today than I've ever been that we have to find out who the church is and how powerful we are. The, the world is trying to get us, and it's been working at it for decades, little by little, and society and laws and, and culture and all these things, trying to get us to become as passive as we can, look the other way and do all these things, and, and we just stay focused on just this little thing here while everything else is going to hell. But we have to know that God has actually called us to be the most powerful force on this earth and we've got to rise up into this and I want to inspire belief in you I want to inspire understanding to you about the scriptures because the Bible knows better about the church than than your opinion or the next person's or the theologians the Bible knows best he believes in us he believes in us and and he knows the, 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 the hope of this world that he has for this world, he's depending on us. He, he actually believes we're going to do it. Yes. Do you? Yes. I hope to convince us of this in a powerful way. Yes. Why don't you guys stand with me? In a moment, I'm going to dismiss us, and there will be a ministry team up here to pray for you. And God has been moving. So if you need prayer for anything, Please come up and let them pray for you because they're, they're seeing breakthroughs and more breakthroughs. Yes, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you, for us individually as, as your children, you know that we're far greater than what we're functioning from. You're, you know that we're far greater than who we believe we are. 
But Lord, you also believe that your church is far greater than what we think it is. And Lord, you have powerful things to do in your church. You want to bring your glory, Lord, like we've never seen before into your church. Lord, you want to bring revival, God, but you want to change the world. You want to open the heavens on us and and let Pentecost be just the the starting point, Lord. You've already given us everything in Christ. You've given us salvation, Lord. You've given us dunamis power. You've given us the authority of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes, Lord, greater, Lord God, deeper to the more that already exists, Lord, that we, if we don't know what we have, we're not going to be able to live from it. I ask you to start showing us more and more what you've already given us so that we can step into it and rise up like the, like the roaring giant that you know that we are, the body of Christ. Lord, it is time for things to change. It's time for the tides to shift. It's time for the heavens to be shaken and the earth to be shaken. Lord, help us to be your people, Lord God, the way that you always dreamed for us to be, God. In Jesus' name, bless everybody, Lord, in Jesus' name today, amen. Amen. Be blessed, everybody. Have a great day. Love you guys.